Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 9. Who can believe what we have heard? And for whose sake has the Lord's arm been revealed? He grew up like a young plant before us, like a root from dry ground. He possessed no splendid form for us to see, no desirable appearance. He was despised and avoided by others, a man who suffered, who knew sickness well. Like someone from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we didn't think about him. It was certainly our sickness that he carried and our sufferings that he bore, but we thought him afflicted, struck down by God and tormented. He was pierced because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole and by his wounds we are healed. Like sheep we had all wandered away, each going its own way, but the Lord let fall on him all our crimes. He was oppressed and tormented, but didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb being brought to slaughter, like a ewe silent before her shearers, he didn't open his mouth. Due to an unjust ruling, he was taken away in his fate. Who will think about it? He was eliminated from the land of the living, struck dead because of my people's rebellion. His grave was among the wicked, his tomb with evildoers, though he had done no violence and had spoken nothing false. A reading from John will be in chapter 13. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. It was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, the son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grasp, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon, Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, you're not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, not only my feet then, wash my hands, wash my head. Jesus said, if you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now and you're clean from head to toe. My concern you understand is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went back to his place at the table. Then he said, do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee does not give orders to the employer. If you understand why I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. Hear now the word of the Lord. A husband came to his pastor 
to talk about his wife who he was having a hard time being married to. And he came to his pastor and he said to, said to, her, to his pastor, he said, you know, I, I think I need to get a divorce. I, I, I can't love my wife anymore. It's just impossible. I just can't find a way to love my wife anymore. And so the pastor asked him, well, could you at least be her friend? Like, could you befriend her and, and be friends with her and at least love her like a friend, even if you're not in love with her anymore? Could you be her friend? And he said, oh no, we're way past that, Pastor. I, I, I can't even be her friend. I can't even befriend her. I can't, can't, can't stand to be in the same room with her some days, Pastor. And so pastor said, well, could you see her as your enemy? He said, oh yeah, that I could do. Yes, I can see her as my enemy. And he says, well, then go and do what Jesus commanded and love your enemy. You see, Monday, Thursday is about love. Monday, Thursday is about choosing to love. I think love is a choice. I think we always have to make the conscious choice whether or not we will love someone. I was still getting used to Seattle traffic and Seattle ways, and I've brought my East Coast driving, I guess, to the Northwest. I got flipped off again this week, but I got the one finger salute. And I'll be honest with you, I, my, my initial response was not pastoral. I, I, I wanted to get even. But I thought, you know, I can choose to respond differently. And so at least at this point, I get, I get it right every once in a while, I gave him the peace sign. I said, well, that's, that's, a, that's a more loving response to the unloving response that I had gotten. But see, love is a toy. We can choose to do that. But tonight, when Jesus, the night when Jesus gathered with his disciples, when he washed their feet, he was actually commanding them something. He was commanding them. He wasn't saying you have a choice to love or look at how you respond. He actually commanded love. The word monday, everybody's been asking me, what, what does that mean, pastor? What is that? It's from the Latin word that we get the word mandate, right? Monde, mandate, or command. And Jesus' command was to love one another as I have loved you, that we are commanded to love as Jesus loves us. And so that command is why we call this Monday, Thursday, that this is why we gather to remember that command and to remember how much Jesus loves us and how much Jesus was willing to give of himself for us, even though we were who? Enemies. <laughs> Enemies of God, it says in Romans, and yet God still loved us. It's not that we first loved God, but that God first loved us in Jesus Christ. And so we come to remember that. Now, I love what happens on this evening when Jesus gathered with his disciples before, before the meal and as they gather for the meal, but before the meal, he, he washes their feet. But I love the way that it says in the very first verse of the passage, and I love the way the message version puts it. He says, having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. This is about finishing well. This is about loving well, even to the end. And the reason I think Jesus loved well, even to the end, is because when he washed each of those disciples' feet, he washed the feet of Judas. 
Think about that. That the one who would betray him, the one who was going to be his enemy, he washed his feet. (laughs) Think about that. Think about the person you can't stand the most (laughs) and imagine yourself washing their feet, loving them to the end. I think what it also may be saying is that Jesus took himself to the end of love, which is the ability and the possibility of loving even your enemy. That's what it means to love to the end. It's easy to love, Jesus said, those who love you. What credit is that to you? But to love someone who does not love you. Ah, that's a different matter. So this Monday, Thursday is about remembering our command to love, but also remembering that Jesus loved us. And then we have this other fellow named Peter who refuses (laughs) the love of Christ, who refuses to be washed, right? He says, no, no, not me. You're, You're not supposed to do that for me, right? But what Jesus says to him, unless I wash you, unless I clean you, it literally means cleaning to clean, that means complete purification. That Jesus' love wants to completely purify us, that Jesus' love wants to completely purify and clean Peter. He doesn't understand at the moment that this is a deeper issue for Peter. This is a matter of cleanliness, not of body, but of soul, of heart, of mind. And he says, if I don't clean you, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Peter would have interpreted that as a share in the kingdom, an inheritance in the kingdom, which he may have interpreted as the physical kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus is talking about not a physical kingdom, but an earthly kingdom. And he's saying, you have no share in that kingdom unless I wash you, unless I make you clean. So then Peter says what? what is, what's Peter's response then? Oh, well, if, that, if, it, if it means a share in the kingdom, then what does he say? Wash me, right? Clean, cleanse me, right? Purify me. Go ahead, Jesus. Do what you need to do in my life. And then Jesus says, my concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. (laughs) Holiness, not hygiene. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be completely purified? What does it mean to be washed? What does it mean to be loved and forgiven by Jesus? What does that mean for you and me tonight? Well, I'm going to introduce you to an exercise this evening. You got a rock when you came in, right? And I want you to think about this rock. In fact, you might want to pull it out as I talk for the next few minutes. And because this for tonight is just a symbol of your burden Whatever sin you brought with you tonight, whatever sin you carry around with you, I would suggest to you that it's the weight of this rock. It symbolizes the weight and the burden of sin in our lives. And if you don't think you have sin in your life, maybe I'll cover a few. Would you mind if I did that? I'll take the lead of Henry Fairley, who wrote a book called The Seven Deadly Sins. His number one sin, he said, is actually the rock I just happened to pick up, pride. He said that pride is actually the sin, the first sin, the primary sin which with, with which all other sins flow. It's our pride. 
you know, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden. This goes all the way back. When they were in the Garden of Eden and God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, just, just not this tree. And what's the tree they wanted to eat from? The one tree. They wanted to be like God. Pride. Shared in a sermon a few months ago that one of the things that's on the rise in America is narcissism. That there has been a 30% rise in narcissism in America. We're becoming more narcissistic. We're becoming more prideful, self-centered. You know, and I also have, have come across that there's part of sin that's not just, oh, I made a mistake, oh, I shouldn't do that. But I would suggest to you and me that there's a part of us that wants to sin. If you, if you don't believe me, come over to my house as we try and train our puppy. I think our puppy enjoys not listening to us. She actually, I think, likes it and enjoys it. And have you ever seen somebody who enjoys sinning? <laughs> just for the sheer possibility of sinning, just to sin because they want to, not because of whether they, it's not because of any desire, it's just the sheer pleasure in doing something wrong. I see it in my puppy every day. At least that's my interpretation. But I think there's a part of us that maybe even likes it. It's straight out pride, rebellion, on our part, that is the primary sin that we all carry. Fairly goes on in the seven deadly sins. That's sin number one. Don't worry, it's not gonna be, we're not gonna be here all night as I go through all seven sins. But the next one he talks about is envy. Have you ever um, been on social media or seen somebody go do something, or maybe you've been on social media and people are posting a vacation picture, some exotic vacation picture, right? Or, or some new car that they just got. Or something wonderful and you think, why can't that be me? It may be a little bit of envy. Whenever we begin to believe that we deserve what everybody else is getting, what everybody else is doing, and what everybody else has, when I begin to believe that I deserve all that, I begin to experience envy. We become envious of one another. And then we're trapped and we're tormented when we're not able to get those things that everybody else has. What about anger? I already talked a little bit about that. Anger's the third deadly sin. It's the sin of wanting to get even with someone else. And there are two ways we express anger. Some of us are the, the, the kind that let, let our anger fly, right? Some of us give outbursts to anger. But some of us have inbursts of anger. We're too nice and polite to have the outburst, so we inburst it. What I mean is we're passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive natures are really anger, but it's passive, right? I'm gonna find a way to be, get even with you without you even knowing I'm getting even with you. We call that also another passive-aggressive way is called the silent treatment. Have you ever given somebody the silent treatment? Maybe you've given full vent to your anger or maybe you've just gotten even with someone by not doing things for them or being good to them or being kind to them or just by not responding to them. Well, the fourth, the fourth one he talks about is sloth. Sloth. Sloth being that animal that moves very slowly. He says sloth is like idleness 
because it has no purpose. It's idleness without purpose. It, it poisons our will in a way that any good desire or any desire to do good is kind of willed out of us because we're, we're just, we just don't want to do it. We become slothful. We know the good we ought to do, but we don't do it. We, we know that we, we should do this good thing. We, we know that we should love this person. We know that we should love our enemy, but we choose not to do it. That's sloth. To not do what we know is the right thing to do or the good thing to do for someone else. To hold back that goodness because we just don't feel like it. Or we don't want to do it. Then there's greed. Greed is defined, one of the ways to define greed is a, a disquietude, a disquietude at the loss of wealth. See, oftentimes we think it's greedy to get more wealth, right? To gain more, to grab more. We think of that as being greedy. But it's, it's equally greedy to not let go of anything. When we hold so tightly to it because we're afraid of losing it. That's greed too. Greed can be either gaining more, but it also could be holding so tightly to what we own and what we have and what we possess that we'll never let it go. We'll never feel like we can let go of what we have. That's as equal to greed as the other kind. The next one is gluttony. Gluttony. That one's pervaded America. We've become more obese as a nation. We tend to eat more. Have you ever noticed that the new vocabulary that we have now, we call it comfort food? Food that brings us comfort. Food used to be for survival. Now it's for comfort, right? Gluttony ties into that comfort food idea. It ties into where I turn to food to bring me comfort, to ease myself, to somehow comfort me. And sometimes we are more interested in our food than we are the people at the table with us. That's a sure sign of gluttony that when we're more about consuming the meal than having the conversation with the people at the table. And we all probably experience that. And then the last one, number seven, is lust. Lust is where we want to gratify that desire, those desires. It could be lust of different directions, of different things, not just sexual lust. But we often think of it in sexual terms. But to lust is to only seek to satisfy that desire and neglect intimacy and relationship to neglect this idea that we could be intimate with one person for our entire life, to neglect that and to only seek to gratify that sinful part of our nature is lust. And so we give up intimacy for lust. And it's actually a sin against our very flesh, Paul said, and it's an act of betrayal against our very selves. So as you've been thinking about this, and don't worry, we'll review but as you've been thinking about this, what is your burden tonight? What would you write on this rock? I wrote pride on this rock. What would you write on yours? And if you want to write something, you can. <laughs> you don't have to. But I put Sharpies in each of the pews, I think, except for the back row. 
but there should be at least two Sharpies in each row. So you might have to look down the row and glance down the row. And I would suggest to you that you think about what is it that you would write on this? And you might write one of those seven things on this rock tonight. Or you might have something else that you thought of or something else that is burdening you that you need Jesus to wash away in your life. And maybe you just write that or maybe you take the Sharpie and just write a a letter that represents that. Or even if you don't feel comfortable doing any of that, that might be a little bit out of the comfort zone. Maybe just think about it as you bring, because I'm gonna ask you to place your rock at the foot of this cross as you come forward for communion tonight. Because communion becomes the washing, the cleansing, the forgiving, the grace that we receive from Jesus Christ because he loved us to the end. And so Jesus wants to take that burden from you. (laughs) Jesus wants to wash you of it, wants to cleanse you of it. He loves you (laughs) to the very end. So what would you write? Is it pride? Is pride getting in in the way of your relationship with God or your relationship to someone else in your life? Is it pride? Or maybe it's lust. You've been trading desire and activity for intimacy. Maybe that's what you've been holding back, that's been holding you back from really experiencing true intimacy with God and with someone else. Or maybe it's envy. Maybe you've been looking at some what other people have and get and you've been saying to yourself, boy, I wish I had some of that. Why don't I deserve it, God? Sometimes see envy is really, our ups- we're upset with God. We're not upset with the other people. We're upset with God because God, why don't I have that, right? I, don't I deserve that, God? Envy sometimes is really about our relationship with God, not about other people. What about, is your sin gluttony? Are you a foodie? Do you love food more than you love people and talking to people and conversing with people? Food was meant to be shared and social or is it all about consuming, comforting? What about greed? Is greed, are you holding on too tightly to something in your life that you can't let go that brings you security? Maybe greed's what you need to lay at the cross tonight. What about anger? Are you angry with somebody? Is that anger driving a wedge between you and that other person? Or maybe you're even angry at God. God can handle it, by the way, if you're angry with God. But what's that anger about? And is it getting in the way of you knowing and following your savior. Or maybe there's someone in your life that you're angry with and it's disrupting your relationship and all you can think about is getting even with them. Maybe it's time to let that go. Leave it here. Or maybe you're just too lazy to get up here and do this because you're experiencing sloth. You don't have the will to even examine your own sin Maybe it's time you take a look at your sloth, your lack of will, the sins of omission. What does your rock say tonight?
Let's pray together.